Hello and welcome to the June Yancey Street special, the Patsy Walker Hellcat story. The reason that we've chosen this topic for this month is due to the Iron Man Hellcat Annual Number 1, which came out this past comic book release day, as well as Patsy having been a pretty important character in the Christopher Cantwell 2020 Iron Man run thus far, um, having and Tony Stark having just proposed to her, uh, which will cover all of that. So this is here as a, if there is anything that you ever wanted to know about Patsy Walker and Hellcat, her superhero name, th this will definitely cover that information. Patsy is a really great character, um, but yes, she is another red-headed comic character, which is something that we'll actually touch on um, when we get to her comic appearances, but um, she is quite different from most, if not all, other uh, red-headed female comic characters because she has a much more extensive history. Now, to give you a little bit of a brief, brief once-over before we kind of get into it here, now this once over is only going to cover the first 30 years of Patsy's comic history, which we have another 50 to go after that. As I told you, she is a very old character. Um, so the brief once over and now this is a summary that comes from, um, let's see, statueforum.com on a post from user Mad Jazz. This is actually from early 2005, so you have to know there has been a lot that's happened with Patsy since then. However, um, this is a really good summary of her character's first 30 years in the comics. Patsy Walker Hellcat is one of few Marvel characters with legitimate pre-1960 roots. A quick, quick search shows that Patsy Walker first appeared in Miss America magazine in November 1944. Patsy got her own comic in 1945 and published continuously for 20 years. The last non-superhero title she was in ended in 1967. In this time frame, she also had an appearance in Fantastic Four Annual number 3. In 1972, she surfaced in Amazing Adventures as a supporting character to The Beast and the storyline where Hank got fur. She became a Hellcat by getting the devices of a character called the Cat, who was really great Nelson, and later transformed into Tigra, T-I-L, well, Tigra is not Tigra, anyway, and was trained by Moondragon on Titan. She did a stint as Hellcat in The Avengers starting in number 144, but was, there, but was there as Patsy Walker even before then, and only then came to be with the Defenders in that issue, in that series issue 44, which took place in the mid-70s. So that is, again, only 30 years into her comic history. She had 20 years of being a humor and romance comic star before she was ever even brought into the main Marvel Universe. Or rather, until she was a notable character in the main Marvel Universe. Um, so, <laughs> all that's fine and dandy. Um, but there is going to be a lot of very dark topics that we cover with this, because a character who's been around for, what is this, 70 plus years now? A lot has happened with her. Um, and uh, she's she, she's been... Um, written by a lot of different people with a lot of different perspectives on life and women <laughs> um, and things like that. So I'm just going to give you the little bit of the content warning now. So it's, it's going to be a bit of a lot at certain times. Uh, the content warning today is for uh, suicide, mental health, exploitation, narcissism, cheating, gaslighting, attempted pedicide, being killing your child, 
um, and other related things like that. So if any of that's really going to put you off, um, maybe, maybe skip this one. So I was, as I was saying, uh, Patsy's story is a bit different from most other redheaded comic women, as it's a very popular thing to give comic women red hair. Uh, we have one or two other redheaded heroines who have died and come back, but uh, for the most part I don't think the others have committed assisted suicide like Patsy eventually does, and they certainly haven't been around in the comics as long as Patsy has. Uh, just going through, uh, we have Jean Grey, she obviously died and came back, Madeline Pryor committed suicide and was brought back by others, not by herself, uh, Barbara Gordon was shot and paralyzed, Medusa was given cancer, which I was still confused about that one, uh, Poison Ivy has died and come back, uh, Black Widow has died and come back, Firestar had cancer for a while, um... Yeah, it's, it's it's a bit of a tortured history, these redheads, isn't it? Um, but Patsy's, Patsy's is just quite, quite a lot. Her, um, her history really does cover every genre. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting one to have for myself spent the last few months really deeply getting, um, getting familiar with. And I hope that with the summaries of things that I have brought up here, I hope that you like her character as much as I do by the end of this, or, you know, at least admire her character a bit. That's my goal here. So the topics that we're going to go through, um, some of these things a little bit more in depth, some less, just because I don't want to really spend a whole bunch of time sitting here listing off key issues and stuff, but I do have uh, categories, and all of this is going to be posted in notes format as well on my blog, which uh, that post will be... I'll see if I can get it linked. Yeah, I should be able to get it linked in the description uh, below. So if you want to follow along, more or less, um, with what the actual like numberings of things are, because listing all of that out is going to get really old really fast, um, you can check that out on the official blog post. There's also going to be another official blog post to go along with this spot, uh, podcast special, which will feature all of the images that I have collected um, involving Patsy while I have been preparing this podcast special. And again, with a character with over 70 years of comic book history, there is a lot. Um, I'm looking at the file now. I have 56 pictures. I'm not sure how much I put up for Madeline or Clea, but I'm pretty sure it was not 56. I could be wrong though. But you can go ahead and look for those links again in the description of this special. But back to what I was saying, the categories we're going to go through here, or the categories that I have fully uh, put in the notes, her key issues, the recommended reading, her aliases, the teams and roles that she has had in the comics, her friends and allies, including family, uh, let's see, love interests, enemies, and there's there's a lot of crossover on those last two, love interests and enemies, <laughs> um, the, the, the powers and abilities that she has, her costumes and clothing, taglines and memorable quotes, other realities that we have seen Patsy appear in, and then of course her history, which is going to include pre-Marvel 616 comic history when she was a timely character, or when she was a uh, humor and romance co comic character, and then the, the, the portion of the comics where she comes to uh, the Marvel 616 and is not a hero, and then she becomes a hero, and then we'll lead up to um, her death and then her resurrection and modern history 
pretty much everything after her resurrection is what I'm going to refer to as her modern history. Um, and then we're going to wrap it up with just some nice thoughts on this and some things that um, I have come across, some questions that I have that I would love to see expanded on. Uh, creators like Christopher Cantwell, who have a clear passion for Patsy Walker, I would very much like to see um, expand on some of these things, uh, possibly answer these questions and these, um, I don't want to say forgotten plot lines, but these available plot lines um, that I would really love to see filled out. The key issues for Patsy Walker and for Hellcat being her hero name, um, I'm. We have a list that is going to be a, that's going to appear on her uh, blog post coinciding with this episode that includes her first appearance as Patsy Walker, which of course was Miss America magazine number two in 1944. Now thinking, I guess I'm. Is it 80 years? Almost 80 years. Yeah, almost 80 years. So 78 years. I did that math real quick. I might be wrong. Uh, was never my my strong suit. Um, I have a list of the pre-Marvel series that she starred in, which, just as a fun fact, uh, you have 124 issues of the Patsy Walker series, 110 issues of the Patsy and Hetty series, 29 issues of Patsy and her pals, and then uh, I believe it was a one-shot a date with Patsy, or possibly a two-shot. Um, but so that is just to get a little bit to show how ridiculously extensive her comic history is even before she ever joined the main Marvel universe. My cat is crawling up my lap right now, so if you hear a weird noise, that's because he's clawing the crap out of me. <laughs> um, so then, let's see, she gets, she, adjo she joins Marvel Comics. Um, actually, let's, let's backtrack a little bit. She was created in 1944 when Marvel was not Marvel. Marvel was still known as Timely Comics. Um, she didn't actually get a comic that was labeled under the title Marvel until Patsy Walker issue number 95, which was in April 1961. And that was one that was done by Stan Lee still. Um, Stan Lee is, of course, very wrapped up in her character history as well. Uh, and then we have after, so, so, so that's when she goes from Timely to Marvel. Being, it's the same company. They just did name change. Um, she graduates high school a couple, let's see, it's probably a couple of years later after that in number 116, and then joins the Marvel Universe, Marvel 616, in Fantastic Four Annual number 3 in 1965, which is the wedding of Reed Richards and Sue Storm. So there is really no significant part to Patsy arriving in the Marvel Universe. Uh, it's kind of just, she is confirmed as to being there, and it's actually Hetty, her, her good friend from the Patsy and Hetty series is there with her as well and that is when she joins the Marvel Universe too um, and I believe that is also Millie the model when she joins the Marvel Universe as well the the main superhero part of the universe as opposed to the humor romance comics where they came from um, and then she appears as Hellcat for the first time, gets that costume, and becomes Hellcat in Avengers 144, which is a great issue. It goes over her origin as well. Um, for whatever reason, she does leave Earth to train with Moondragon, as opposed to joining the Avengers when they offer her a position in Avengers number 151, and she gains some mental powers, uh, psychic powers from Moondragon, which are then uh, retracted, <laughs> taken back by Moondragon many years later in Defenders number 77. Um, she officially joins the Defenders in issue number 46, 
um, and her mother dies in, or she finds out rather about her mother's death in Defenders issue 89 before meeting her future husband, Damon Hellstrom in issue 92. They get married in issue 125. Um, and that's really kind of the last <laughs> key issue we have until her death, which takes place in Hellstrom, or sorry, rather Hellstorm, for whatever reason they say it's Hellstorm, not Hellstrom, even though Hellstrom is his name. I should look up why that is. Not a clue. Uh, but anyway, Hellstorm, Prince of Lies, number 14, is the issue where she does commit a suicide. And then she is returned, kind of by accident, Thunderbolts Annual 2000, you guessed it, the year 2000. Uh, and we get a nice little wrap-up of her modern origin, or rather just her origin modernized, in Avengers Annual 2000. And the series that she has had subsequently since then, in the year 2000, they did give her her first solo series of three issues, simply titled Hellcat. And then we have Patsy Walker Hellcat and Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat, the former two of which, or the latter two of which, um, very controversial <laughs> to an extent because, um, and we'll discuss this I'm sh a little bit more in depth as we go through the rest of the podcast. Um, I, have a, I have a quote here to kind of quickly summarize the vibe that I got from these series. I'm not a fan of them particularly. I'm a big fan of her original series. What this quote says is, it's a complete travesty to Patsy as a character and betrays all of the development that she's had. For a comic that's supposed to be progressive and was written by a rather politically charged person, the comic actually depowers Patsy instead of empowering her. And I would thoroughly agree with that, which is something that we will cover way down there when we cover um, those series in her history. The recommended reading that I have for Patsy, I'm not going to list through these through these issues, but I do have... I should have just labeled these as numbers instead of bullet points. Let's make them numbers real quick. I have 12 different comics, single issue comics. Well, that's not quite right. I have 12 different, um, yeah, let's just say 12 different comics that I recommend for Patsy. Um, it includes a couple of, um, one-shot things like, um, we have a couple of Marvel Comics Presents stories. Oh, I wrote the same one twice here. Um, okay, so we have 11. <laughs> uh, Marvel fanfare, Marvel superheroes, those kinds of things that are like anthology stories. Um, she's got a couple of those, and then the Marvel Divas series, the Hellcat series, um, and then a few other anthology things, and a actually a couple of non-canon stories, including the uh, issue where we get the Thanos copter in Spidey Super Stories number 32, which is not canon, but it does feature Patsy Walker as the cat, or rather just cat. <laughs> uh, and so that is one of my recommended, if you want to read some really good, genuinely good stories about Patsy, um, I have those 11 recommendations that will be linked uh, in the description. Finally, the last one that I'm just going to kind of quickly list off, um, and you can go to the text post about this podcast episode to find the issues that all of these names come from, are the Hellcat aliases. They're various things that people call her through her comic history. I'll just kind of list them off, and if you want to see where they come from, that's all in the text post uh, on my blog. So we have people call her Cat, the Cat, Cat Girl, deep breath here. Double clawed cat full of red hell, red hellfire with her head against the wind and comes not quietly from the great sea road. I have no idea what that even means, but that's one too. Happy go lucky hellcat. That's a very big one. HC, Miss America, Patsy girl, Patsy, I'm starting to hate you, Walker. 
Passy Walker Hellstrom, Penelope Lovelight, Pussycat, Red, Scarlet O'Hairdo, and Senorita Cat. <laughs> All various nicknames or titles people have given her through the years. Patsy has been on many teams throughout her history at Marvel Comics, both before joining the superhero universe and after, um, obviously primarily after. Um, the roles that she has had in comics include adventure, hero, small business owner, she is formerly a paralegal, supernatural investigator, government agent, homemaker, model, actress, and newspaper columnist. Actually, writer as well. She, she wrote several books about her life. Um, she has been a member of the Centerville Globe newspaper, which is the major newspaper in Centerville, California, where she grew up and joined the uh, workforce there with Hetty Wolf under Te Ted Trent, um, and she was a reporter there at the Centerville Globe. Uh, Patsy Walker Enterprises is the name of the company that, in the comic universe, um, in the superhero universe, Patsy's mother uh, wrote all these stories about Patsy, um, and then that's kind of how they translated her humor romance stuff, her, her history of humor romance comics into her being in the now Marvel 616, is they just said, oh yeah, those, those were all... Um, she was a real person and her mom just wrote all these stories about her and made all this money off of her as a kid, basically. Um, so the Patsy Walker Enterprises is the company that her mom started when she wrote all of those comics about Patsy, um, which really goes into the toxicity. We can go into that now, but we won't. We'll get into it later. The toxicity of her relationship with her mother, real bad. <laughs> Um, and then after Patsy died, the comics had been out of print, and then the rights reverted over to Hetty Wolf, her, her childhood friend, um, because Patsy's mom had already been dead as well. And so Patsy renamed the company Patsy Hetty Entertainment and started republishing the comics. And I think eventually Patsy does get the rights back to being under her own name. Very kind of sad thing. I mean, especially surrounding the fact that she died and then her friend, her childhood frenemy decides to take advantage of her like that. But in any case, that just goes along with Hetty's character very well, to be honest. Patsy was also a member of the Defenders. She joined the team after returning from Titan. She really hangs out with them in issues 44 and 45 and officially joins the team in 46. Uh, she is a team member of the Avengers and still carries several Avengers cards to this day. Yes, plural. She does carry backups <laughs> in case she has one taken from her for any reason. <laughs> she has been a member of the Lady Liberators, which was originally a group of female adventurers who were manipulated by Enchantress. But the most recent, or rather more recent, incarnation was gathered by She-Hulk to hunt Red Hulk over a 2008-2009 arc of the 2008 Hulk series. Team members included Black Widow, Medusa, Scarlet Witch, Wasp, Valkyrie, Storm, Tigra, which again, I thought for the longest time was Tigra, so now I gotta start saying it, Tigra, Hellcat, Spider-Woman, Thundra, and the Invisible Woman. While Patsy was dead, her body was kind of resurrected as a part of the Legion of the Unliving, uh, which included Baron Zemo, Black Knight, Count Nefaria, Inferno, 
I don't even know who that is. Nebulon, Necrodamus, Red Guardian, Starstalker, Marvel, Doctor Druid, Mockingbird, Swordsman, Thunderstrike, Wonder Man. Jeez, that's a lot. It was basically a bunch of zombified um, facilities of the deceased. They were all deceased at the time. Most of them are now not deceased. Um, superheroes and foes of superheroes um, that the Reaper created uh, from victims of a plane crash. It was all very complicated. They eventually just got defeated. Um, okay, so it wasn't her body. It was the victims of the plane crash. Gotcha. But yeah, that was a very weird, dark storyline while she was dead. <laughs> Marvel Divas is a really fun one. Um, it's fun, but it's actually a little bit serious. Um, that is, she appears in issues one through four, which is the entirety of the series. And it took place in 2009, written by Roberto Aguar Sacasa, I think that's right, and artist Tonki Jonik. I have no idea. That's definitely Zonjik. I'm sorry. Uh, and the team included Hellcat Spectrum, who was obviously Monica Rambeau and who was going by Photon at the time, Black Cat, and Firestar. The series covered the team helping Firestar through her cancer diagnosis. See, I told you it was actually kind of serious. And Patsy ends up making a deal with her ex, Damon Hellstrom, to save her, to save Firestar, and the others end up having to go to hell to save Patsy in return. It's a very good and very thoughtful series, regardless of how the title makes it seem. I think the biggest failure of the series was calling it Marvel Divas. <laughs> Um, because it gives a certain idea of what it's going to be about, and it was actually very, very good. Uh, she was on the Heralds team, which was from the 2010 Heralds series by Catherine Immonen. Um, there is a lot of... My cats are fighting. There was a lot of Catherine Immonen um, contributions to Patsy's history that a lot of people, including myself, do not really like, but this was actually very good. The Heralds team included Emma Frost, Monica Rambeau, Patsy Walker, Valkyrie, She-Hulk, Abigail Brand, and the group was working together to save or, uh, kind of put back together Nova Frankie Ray, who was, of course, a, once a Herald of Galactus. She was a member of the law offices of Jennifer Walters, PLLC. I don't know what that stands for. <laughs> um, and this was the first appearance of this team with She-Hulk, Volume 4, Number 2, in 2012 in the Charles Soule Javier Polito series. This, took, this was made up of She-Hulk, obviously Patsy Walker, obviously, as well as Angie Huang and her monkey, Hey Hey. I believe there was some kind of odd psychic business about her monkey as well, but I don't actually recall right now. Uh, and then we have the Patsy Walker Temp Agency, which was a company developed by Patsy Walker with the goal of pairing powered individuals with non-crime-fighting jobs, careers, and temporary work. This came from the Kate Leth Patsy Walker, aka Hellcat series, which was meh. Um, and then you have the members of the temp agency who work there are Patsy, obviously, Attaché, Fred, uh, Federigo, Ravina, Jubilee, and Phil. Whoever that is, Phil. <laughs> and then most recently, Patsy was a member of the Space Friends. Yes, that is what they actually were called, Space Friends. I love it. This is from the Iron Man 2020 series by Christopher Cantwell. The team included Iron Man, Frogman, Gargoyle, Halcyon, Human Torch, the original one, Misty Knight, Scarlet Spider, and War Machine alongside Patsy Walker's Hellcat. Um, 
one thing that I found about this series that I really like this quote from Jenna Anderson on comicbook.com. She says, Cantwell's approach to every character, whether it be Tony, Patsy, Korvac, or anyone else in the series' ensemble, is thorny and complicated, but also incredibly moving in a way that I've desperately wanted to see in the comics. And to wrap up the teams, I wasn't sure where else to put this, but in the Marvel Tarot one shot which was from 2001 uh, she patsy represents the tower which um i really should have gotten more information on that one ha jk i just pulled it up it says the tower card is about disaster and devastation i can't think of anyone out there who has survived more turmoil than patsy walker hellcat has literally been through hell her attempt to find her place as a hero led her to a disastrous relationship with damon hellstrom which ended with her suicide she fought her way out of the depths of hell only to struggle again to find her place in the world above that is um what this one shot has to say about patsy being the tower which i personally i would really love to see them redo the marvel tarot because it's been 15 years and i feel like that would it's, it's time it's pretty it, it looks like it was made in 2007 they need to redo it Moving on to Patsy's friends and allies. We're going to start off with her family. Stanley and Dorothy slash Mary Walker are her parents. For whatever reason, um, she was known as, uh, Patsy's mom was known as Mary during her romance comics era. And then they changed her name to Dorothy when Patsy joined the Marvel 616. Not sure why. I guess they were just trying to differentiate that the romance stuff was actually fictional in the 616. In any case, uh, Dorothy McConnell Walker, as her name is, she always had a bit of a rough relationship with her daughter. Her first appearance in the fictional universe was, well, I mean, they're all fictional, but in the uh, romance comics, we'll say universe, was Miss America Magazine number two, same as her daughter, which was again 1944. And the first time that we ever see her in the 616 universe is Defenders 89 in 1980, which is also the issue that Patsy discovers that she has died. So good stuff. Um, Patsy does have a moment uh, by herself at the grave of her mother in that issue, speaking as if to her mother about how she, um, how Dorothy always wanted her to be perfect, and Patsy always felt like she could never live up to her expectations. So you see a lot of the difficult dynamic there, and we will discuss more of that dynamic when we get to her history. Um, also, Patsy did have a brother, Mickey Wal Walker. I was going to say Walter. Mickey Walker. Uh, he was a younger brother. He was blonde for whatever reason, and he appeared same first issue as uh, his mother and sister. Um, and then his first time that he ever appears in the 616 universe is Avengers Annual Volume 2. two or you could really just say it's Avengers Annual 2000, because that's kind of what, it, what the issue goes by. And to the best of my knowledge, that is actually Avengers Annual 2000 is actually the last time, the only time that he has appeared in the Marvel 616. Um, so if you haven't heard of him, that would be why. Moving out of the realm of family and into friends and allies, we have to start, of course, with Hetty Wolf um, of the humor comic Patsy and Hetty. Patsy and Hetty were like Betty and Veronica. They were full-on alternate company equivalents as uh, 
Buzz was with Archie uh, from the Archie series. Betty and Veronica, obviously being from Bar- Bar- Archie as well. Everybody here is a copy of somebody from Archie, pretty much. And we'll talk more about the whole copying things once we get closer to uh, going through her full character history. In their, well, literally any time of the comics days, uh, Hedy was Patsy's best friend and ultimate rival, so go figure how that works. Nothing like female competition being the root of all female motivations. I roll. Um, Hetty always wanted to be with Buzz, Buzz Baxter, Patsy's on-again, off-again beau, um, and based on some comics from the era that I have uh, kind of skimmed through, I would not hesitate to assume Buzz cheated on Patsy with her pretty regularly, but that is just my opinion. As I mentioned before, after Patsy's death, since her mother had also died, the rights for all of the material Patsy's mom ever wrote on the fictional Patsy was reverted to Hetty. So when Patsy returns to life, Hetty is who runs her mother's former corporation. At one point, Hetty gets tied up with the demon Belial. It's this whole thing, it's kind of complicated, but um, they end up falling in love, getting married. It doesn't last for long because um, she runs off and divorces him after witnessing him eat a baby on their honeymoon. Because clearly she has the best taste in men. Um, apparently, also, Hetty has been married over... Uh, five or six times in total, according to the comics. And in the original Patsy Walker comics, Hetty also claimed that an ancestor from a few centuries ago was a French duke, and that her great-great-great-granduncle had been a baron, because apparently those are things that matter to her, and that really says all you need to know about her as a character. Nancy Brown, she was the, oh, she's known as Nan. She was kind of the third wheel to the Patsy Hetty pairing. Uh, Nan was Switzerland. She eventually marries another childhood friend of Patsy's, Tom Hale, and they even have kids. They too get pulled into the Marvel 616, um, but they do get divorced when Tom comes out as gay, and unfortunately, neither Nan or Tom have been mentioned really in the comics ever since. Nan herself hasn't appeared since Avengers Annual 2000. Tom Hale, we kind of just mentioned, uh, friends with Patsy Walker, Hedy Wolf, and their gang of friends, and therefore became fictionalized as one of those characters in the Dorothy Walker comic book series that was based off of her daughter's life. He shows up in the AKA Hellcat series, which is what I consider volume three of Patsy's 616 books. Um, and like I said, he had buried Nan and uh, comes out as gay and then divorces her before going back to chill with Patsy in New York a little bit in that Kate Leth series. If you've heard any rustling um, in the background, I just turned around and the kitten has pulled all of the tissues out of the tissue box. That, that's what you're hearing if you hear anything in the background. Now let's talk about Millie the model. Personally, I for one was actually pretty surprised to learn that Patsy predates this famous romance and fashion comic star, Millie the Model. Millie the Model debuted just about a year after Patsy at what was then Timely, before they became Marvel. Uh, her debut was December 1945, compared to Patsy's November 1944. 
She was very similar to Patsy, but where Patsy was just a teenage girl next door, Millie was a supermodel. A blonde, bombshell superstar, which was exactly what Stan and the crew thought female readers wanted at the time, and to be honest, for all I know, they may have been right to some extent. But where Millie's supermodel status didn't get her far once brought into the main Marvel universe, Patsy's regular girl persona persists strongly to this day. I've always kind of wondered what was it that kept Patsy as a more popular character, um, and maybe you'll come to some conclusion of your own as we go through her history. Millie the Model had her own series titled Millie the Model, which was from 1945 to 1973, actually ran longer than Patsy's series. It ran for 207 issues. Um, the 1956 Date with Millie ran for seven issues, followed by a second volume of the same name in 1959. 1960 had Life with Millie, and that ran for 20 issues, and 1963 had Modeling with Millie at 54 issues, and then 1969 Mad About Millie for 16 issues. So while her main Millie the Model series was running, she had a total of one, two, three, four, five different other series that were going um, through the years coinciding with it. I have a quote from somebody here. I think this is from CBR. It says, Timely had Ruth Atkinson, one of the greatest female comic book artists of the 1940s and who had co-created Patsy Walker in Miss America magazine, create a new character to go with their female humor character, Tessie the Typist, and so Millie the Model was born. Initially a humorous career gal book about New York City model Millie Collins, it very quickly evolved into a broader, more slapstick comedy, though for a time becoming a romantic adventure series with all the same characters before returning to humor. We have Millie who then appears in Defenders number Defenders number 65. Patsy confronts Millie as Hellcat, where Millie offers Patsy a job in modeling. It's actually a very cute issue. You'll notice that I have it among the um, read to get to know Patsy Walker recommended reading list issues, Defenders number 65. So she meets with Millie. Uh, she declines becoming a model because she has changed a lot since her days as being a model herself. She no longer felt as innocent and ambitious as she once was, so that's why she turns down Millie's offer. Next we have She-Hulk. Uh, Patsy is in she Savage She-Hulk 13 and 14 after only 61 other appearances in the Marvel Universe. More notably, it was Jen's 13th and 14th appearances as she hadn't appeared outside her own series yet. Hellcat was the first female hero Jennifer Walters ever meets. That's a really important thing and I'm really, really hoping that it gets pulled into the Marvel Universe because, again, it is a very important factor of their relationship. They were, um, she was not the first, She-Hulk was not the first uh, superhero friend Patsy ever made, but Patsy was the first superhero friend She-Hulk ever made, or rather the first female superhero She-Hulk ever met. Um, and those are some really cute issues. They're horribly written and the art is so-so, uh, but they're, they're cute because Hellcat and She-Hulk. <laughs> um, they were not necessarily close for many years after that. They were just a, um, teammates and fellow heroes, but their relationship really began to develop in the Charles Soule She-Hulk series, I believe which was 2012, and they've been pretty much inseparable ever since. I have no doubt that um, 
a lot of their relationship. I'm going to be talking about it in the August EMC Street special, which will be focusing entirely on Jennifer Walters' She-Hulk. Moondragon, aka Heather Douglas, first meets, first meets Hellcat in Avengers 141 when she's trying to blackmail Beast out of into making her a superhero. It's, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, and then in Avengers 151, Moondragon is offered uh, a position on the Avengers and declines for reasons of godhood. We won't get into that here, but it's a whole other story. Uh, but when that position is then offered to Patsy, Moondragon jumps in and says, oh no, Patsy can't join the Avengers. And she insists instead that Patsy goes with her to the Moon Titan to train with her. And for whatever reason, Patsy does. She turns down the Avengers position and goes with her. Why did she take Patsy to train her? That's one question that I find myself coming up a lot um, when going over Patsy's history. Why did Moondragon take Patsy to Titan? What, what was the reason there? They barely knew each other. Um, and especially since it was keeping her from joining the Avengers, why? Um, and then also, why did Patsy agree? She didn't really know Moondragon. She only wanted to be an Avenger. So why did she agree to take time off to train with a stranger? Um, as suggested by Mike McDermott of the Gay League website, I have this article linked below, Moondragon will later go on to reveal her lesbianism in 2002's Captain Marvel Volume 4, number 32, and she does subsequently date her friend Marlo Chandler-Jones. Notably, McDermott says, Marlo is a redhead. Is it possible that Moondragon was drawn to Patsy due to her similar look before eventually dating Marlo? I don't know. In any case, she does undo the psychic part of Patsy's training in Defenders number 77, the issue that she leaves the team after really just a one-issue membership stint. Her reasoning of taking the powers being she passed some of her own power to Patsy to help her train and needed it back for that fight. So while it is played up a lot in, in, in later history to be that Moondragon spitefully took it back, she really took it back because of like a little bit of an ego thing that she wanted to win the fight, so she needed what she had given Patsy to kickstart her mental training back, and that ended up taking it all with it. She will later, Moondragon, will later rejoin the Defenders in time to see Patsy and Damon's wedding as a member of the team. Patsy and Moondragon then reunite in Iron Man 2020 number 8 when Moondragon feels Patsy's mental powers returning and psychically arrives in her mind to help her grow stronger in that aspect. With her assistance, Patsy sort of begins to be able to read minds, and that is something that it looks like they're going to make a key part of her personality and uh, character moving forward, which I honestly am very pleased with. Now, Valkyrie has a bit of a complicated history herself, which I don't feel like getting into. It's a whole, again, a whole other podcast episode that might happen someday. Um, at times, she is two people. At times, she is just herself. It's, it's a whole thing, but when I'm referring to Valkyrie in this sense, I'm referring to Brunhilde. Um, she is a fellow defender with, Val with, with Valkyrie. She's Valkyrie. Valkyrie's a fellow defender with Hellcat. She does have a very hard time getting used to Hellcat. Interestingly to me, in a very similar way that the Defenders team had a hard time getting used to Val herself when, when she first joined the Defenders. Um, almost any Defenders issue, you know, a little bit down the line after they'd gotten to know each other, any Defenders issue that had Patsy, Clea, and Valkyrie working together 
was guaranteed to have some fun bit about their friendship in it. For me, it is the most fun part of reading those older comics, this fantastic female friendship. It did include Ms. Marvel, Red Guardian, and Moondragon as well, as well at times, um, but it was really came back, it always came back to those three, Patsy, Clea, and Valkyrie. Um, I, and that really continues into modern times too, with, with uh, Clea and Valkyrie having a lot of connections, and then Patsy having been through various teams um, that included Clea and Valkyrie subsequently through the years. Now, Clea obviously is going to be, um, her relationship with Patsy is pretty much the same as Valkyrie's. She, uh, she herself joins the Defenders in issue 43, only just before Patsy does in 44. So, well, before Patsy appears with the Defenders for the first time in 44. Uh, so their history with the team is very much tied together and it is, it gives them a very strong, um, deep relationship. Now, Tigra, I gotta, I gotta contain it. I gotta keep wanting to say Tigra. I gotta, gotta say it right. Tigra. Uh, Tigra was the original cat. Um, she eventually dropped the suit. She had only a handful of appearances as the cat, eventually dropped the suit and became Tigra. Um, I should really say Greer Grant Nelson was originally the cat, dropped the suit and became Tigra. Um, and then eventually Patsy picks up her suit and becomes Hellcat. So, the story of how Greer goes from being the cat to Tigra, um, it goes like this. I, I, I literally copy and pasted this because I, uh, this is honestly exhausting to think about. It's very, it's a bit complex. Dr. Tumalo is revealed to be one of the modern cat people. When members of Hydra attack Tum or track Tumalo down to obtain his, quote, final secret, which was a Black Death Plague, a creation of the first cat people, which Tigra is kind of a part of their history. Uh, Greer Grant once again donned the cat costume and drove Hydra off. However, she was mortally injured by a blast from one of their alpha radiation pistols. Gotta love the old school sci-fi. Greer regained consciousness in a Baja California cave surrounded by a gathering of cat people who were summoned by Tumolo. Rapidly dying from the radiation's effects, Greer was offered one last hope of survival. A black bikini... A, sorry, I skipped the line. A combination... She was offered a black bikini... No, sorry. A combination of ancient science, sorcery, and mental power that would transform her into Tigra, the cat people's legendary half-human, half-cat warrior. She readily consented... This is actually a bit like Moon Knight, isn't it? She readily consented, began wearing only her black bikini from this time on, and arose from the ceremony as a superhumanly powered human-animal hybrid. Striped fur covered her entire body, her hands and feet bore razor-sharp claws, her teeth became long and pointed, and her eyes were that of a cat's. In addition to the superhuman power and senses, she had many of the drives and instincts of a cat. Um, though she was initially unable to change back to her human self, Tigra received from the cat people a mystic cat-headed amulet that allowed her to create the illusion of her human form to later... Uh, and later change back and forth at will. Um, she did mostly just stick to the feline side though. So um, her relationship with Patsy is a little bit rocky at first because Patsy kind of just swooped up her suit up the cat and became her own hero. And Tigra took that a little bit personally because she thought that Patsy should have like 
you know, asked, hey, is it okay if I use this outfit that you used to wear as a superhero before you almost died? Um, so when we, we get that all mostly straightened out in this arc of West Coast Avengers. You can kind of skip through this part if you don't care about this, but I think it's a really, really important part to remember because so many writers after this hashing their shit out story still continue to write them as jealous cat enemies types. Um, and, and I just feel like that's, that's such a loss of their friendship that they established in this arc. So... Um, in this arc of West Coast Avengers, it's 14 through 17. No, 14 through 16 is the issues. I have them right here next to me is why I lean down to look. Um, it says the cat aspects of Greer's personality, such as a penchant for savagery and a need for affection, had begun to dominate her human intellect, causing her increasing distress. Greer sought help from her Avengers teammates in overcoming the cat side of her personality, which had caused her to become the lover of both Wonder Man and Henry Pym. I have thoughts about that, but again, another podcast episode. <laughs> she was transported to the West Coast Avengers to the, with the West Coast Avengers to the realm of the Cat People, um, and uh, 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 Patsy went with her. <laughs> Ultimately, she came into contact with the banished colony of Cat People, whose king agreed to resolve her crisis of personality in exchange for her carrying out her historical function. Uh, of Tigra by murdering, or Tigra, sorry, by murdering the cat people's longtime foe, Master Pandemonium. Though she had initially accepted their terms, when the moment came in the arena of the cat people's realm, Tigra refused to violate the Avengers Code against killing, and the cat people stripped her of her tiger so or Tigra soul, which were her Tigra powers, basically. She was reduced to her normal pre-transformation human state. Hellcat, who had accompanied Greer and the West Coast Avengers on this adventure, then lent Greer the super suit that she had used as the cat, which Hellcat usually donned nowadays, and a battle ensued. As the tide began to turn against the cat people, their leader released the tigress, tigra, no, tiger soul shit, as a means of confusing Greer. The tactic then backfired as the cat suit had been designed by a cat person, who was Dr. Tomolo, who previously, you know, saved Greer's life, specifically to amplify Greer's human capabilities. So instead of Greer being dominated by the tiger soul as before, the suit caused her human and feline personalities to successfully integrate together once and for all, and she was able to move on, giving the suit back to Patsy to use as Hellcat, and they left the arc as friends. I feel like that's really important because a lot of writers, I think actually there was an appearance immediately after this West Coast Avengers arc that was an Avengers issue, and it does have Greer and Patsy at each other's throats, like jealous cat fight. It's so stupid when they literally just came from hashing their shit out, and Patsy helps Greer come to terms with her power set. Come on. My point is, they're friends, okay? They're not frenemies. They're not jealous cat types. Patsy and Tigra are friends. Moving a bit more into allies, other than friends, uh, we're going to talk about Gargoyle. His first appearance is in Defenders number 94, which is pretty much right after Patsy's mom's death in 89. Uh, in 94, he kidnaps Patsy in an effort to sacrifice her to get his soul back. It's a whole thing. Um, they become friends, eventually, and fellow Defenders. It does take a long time for Gargoyle to make up to Patsy for what he did, the whole you know, sacrificing her to get his soul back thing, uh, because it nearly caused the death of her childhood nanny and housekeeper, Dolly Donahue, um, and that was, like, a really hard time. 
was like a really hard time for Patsy, you know? Sorry, I don't know why I did that. Um, Gargoyle does make it his main goal for a pretty long time after that uh, to do pretty much anything that he can to make up for this. And we see that later when Patsy is mentally ill um, and trapped in Damon's house, Gargoyle is the one to care for her and see that she eats and he bathes her and all that. It's an odd dynamic because he he doesn't really do anything to help the situation. Um, he's just kind of making sure that it doesn't get worse, I guess. But still, it obviously did get worse when she kills herself. Um, but he still atones even to this day, going on the Space Friends adventure with Tony Stark and etc. people and taking care of Patsy when she was unconscious on those adventures, busy doing psychic things in her mind. Um, so the way that I see it, Gargoyle is still, um, he's still yearning to atone for all of the wrong that he caused and let happen to Patsy to this day as he should. He could have taken her out of that house um, and sought real help at any time when she was sick and he didn't. He just kind of let the status quo remain. Beast. Um, Beast is first met by Patsy, or Patsy is first met, whatever you want to say. They first meet in Amazing Adventures number 14, which is the arc where he first gets fur. Uh, later on, she returns in Avengers 139. She has, at this point, divorced Buzz Baxter, who was abusive towards her, um, and she tries to use Beast's real name and secret identity against him, but he has already made it public. He'd made a deal previously that if she keeps his identity private, he'll make her a hero. And that's why she was trying to use that against him. Yes, is is a very weird way to have brought her into the main Avengers comics. Like they couldn't think of anything else. I don't know. It's very odd. And it makes me understand why a lot of people didn't like her as Hellcat in the very beginning. Because she tries to blackmail Beast to become a hero. It's a little bit odd. Uh, Nighthawk, aka Kyle Richmond, is a fellow defender that Patsy is fairly close with in their heroing days. Uh, they do also use his family home as the defender's base until the team basically destroys it in a fight. <laughs> um, and Patsy also then ends up taking care of Kyle uh, when he starts having major health issues. I don't quite remember the context of it, but he's like paralyzed or whatever. He gets bedridden for a long time and she is one of the people who is his caretaker in that time. Um, a little bit more modern stuff here, Ian Sue and Ghost Cat. Ian Sue is a bisexual inhuman who is at odds with his life and decides to become a super criminal um, and commits robbery as a villain called the Telekinean. He ends up getting stopped by Hellcat, who helps him turn his life around, and they eventually become roommates. Now he works at Burley Books with Tom Hale, remember I just mentioned him a bit ago, um, and they date. And then finally, Ghost Cat is a demon from hell who admires Patsy Walker and wants to be like her. Um, she escapes Earth. She escaped to Earth, and Patsy discovers her, helps her, and rescues her from Hellstrom, giving her a human form and human name. Moving on to love interests, we only have a handful here to talk about, um, and there's a lot of crossover with enemies, so. We'll just get to that when we get to that. Starting off with Buzz Baxter, Robert Baxter. He goes back to her pre-Marvel Universe days and was her first husband. They got engaged in Patsy Walker number 114, and Buzz joins the Marvel 616 alongside Patsy. 
not in the same time that she did, but in Amazing Adventures number 13 in 1972. However, by the time we next see Patsy in 1975, they have already become divorced. Um, and we actually see Buzz in that arc as well. And not too long after uh, Buzz Baxter becomes Mad Dog, um, he gets basically experimented on um, and becomes a villain Mad Dog. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's Hydra who does that to him. Um, or possibly Soldiers, the Supreme, Squadron Supreme, I don't remember. But um, he becomes Mad Dog and then eventually down the line, Patsy ends up having to kill him because he keeps coming after her because he's like a mad dog. <laughs> I know it's super creative. Uh, Ted Trent is another love interest from Patsy's romance comic days. He was the editor in chief of the Centerville Globe. And after graduating high school, Patsy began working at the Globe under Ted, who was editor in chief. <laughs> he sparked up a relationship with Patsy during Buzz Baxter's stationing at Camp Carlson, where uh, and he and Patsy were even briefly engaged. Um, one thing that's interesting about Ted is that it's possible that Ted is not actually in the 616, but rather just part of the fictional Patsy universe. However, as some of the events in Patsy's youth have been specified as happening on Earth 616 and were just written about, Ted's existence is suspect, but uh, still unexplored. There's not really a reason to explore it anyway. Uh, Damon Hellstrom, the second husband, he is clearly not over her, even if she doesn't want uh, the guy who drove her to suicide back. He doesn't really seem to get that. Interestingly, um, after she returns to life, it does take Damon a long while to get used to the fact that she isn't his anymore. Um, something that even sticks around occasionally to these days is obsession with Patsy. Uh, but it doesn't, it's not love. And I'll go over Damon a lot more when we get to the enemy section. Uh, finally, the last love interest that we're going to talk about is Tony Stark, the modern boyfriend. Uh, she recently just turned him down for marriage. They first meet in Avengers 141 when Patsy finally tracks down the Beast, who is uh, with his then Avengers teammates. Patsy and Iron Man have been fairly close for a pretty long time in the comics, as he was a main Avengers member when she first put on the suit of the cat. He was actually there with her when she does that, and he does remain a major contact for her on the Avengers pretty much from then on. He pops in and out of her history over the years, even, uh, even in that Marvel video game um, he's mentioned. Uh, he's mentioned, well, she's mentioned when Tony, Tony sees a reference to Damon, her ex-husband, he notes needing to mention it to Patsy. And that does kind of sum up the majority of, of their historical relationship pretty well. They keep in touch, like actually keep in touch. Don't like they just say they're going to keep in touch. Um, and when Patsy visits Millie in Defenders number 65, again, an issue that I do very much recommend, um, the letter from her old friend was delivered to her by Tony, which I think is another example of their comfortable, often long-distance friendliness. Of course, by the time Tony proposes to Patsy in Iron Man number 20, the dynamic has drastically changed. He started a new journey for himself, or tried to, and she had been tagging along. When they're forced closer together by a horrifying, unstoppable villain known as Korvac, 
which comes with physical and mental trauma for both of them, they become temporary crutches for one another. Patsy is able to move on from needing that crutch in Tony, but Tony is still in the ringer for a while longer. And by the time he gets out the other side, he's kind of become a space god, uh, made all of New York copies of him, which is very the master from Doctor Who, and uh, murdered all of their space friends super team if only temporarily. And it was Patsy, and Patsy alone who pulled him back from that ledge. Okay, he, he went way over the ledge, but she was the one to reel him back in. His godlike superpowers were then gone, and Patsy goes with him to check him into rehab. In a scene that makes it very clear what her role has become to Tony. A bit of a lover, but a bit of a mother, too. And it checks out, because when he checks back out of rehab three months later, and Patsy picks him up again, a lot has changed in her and the Super Friends' lives, but Tony has spent the past three months focusing on what just happened, not moving forward like them. And he extremely awkwardly proposes to Patsy in a letter. <laughs> She's kind enough not to turn him down right away, but after serious thought, she comes back she comes back with the conclusion that Tony needs her, but she doesn't need him in the same way. She can't be his caretaker, but she does admit to herself that she loves him more than either of her ex-husbands, which feels like either an emotional step forward or possibly her mirroring his feelings. But they'll always be friends. They will always be close. In my opinion, though, Tony is not a person who can be in a long-term monogamous relationship without using his partner as a crutch, and no one needs that. Patsy was smart to see it, if not worded quite in that exact way. Let's talk enemies. Of course, starting off with the second husband, Damon Hellstrom, the one who uh, mentally broke her and drove her to suicide. We'll cover it when we go over her history more in depth, but Damon was never a good match for Patsy. A little similar to Tony, there was a romance that started out of circumstance. Patsy's mother had just died, and immediately afterwards, Patsy is dragged through the frickin' garbage disposal as horrors of demons and goblins try to force a demon soul into her, and it almost works. She is possessed by the demon Avarish for a short while, and even afterwards, the side effects of that demonic persona persist for a good minute. For context, her mother died in Defenders 89, and she meets Damon in issue 92, so it is right afterwards. So it makes sense that she ends up finding emotional comfort in the character who would have felt most closely similar to those moments, Damon Hellstrom's son of Satan. He was already an old friend of her Defenders teammates, and in one era might have been described as tall, dark, and handsome, if the dark is only describing his demeanor. It makes a lot of sense that the two were magnetically attracted to each other. To add to it, an arc even teased the idea that the two were siblings, making their romance taboo and, I'm sure in the writers' minds, an obvious forbidden must. It's almost immediately after this arc is sorted out that the two abruptly announce their sudden marriage and move across the country together. What I'd like to know about their marriage, really, is who brought it up. They had a funky, forbidden, but perfect for each other kind of romance thing going on, uh, but th there was no natural lead up to Patsy leaving the Defenders team and going off with him. 
so suddenly. I'd like to know what happened that the two of them so instantly agreed that marriage and cohabitation was the right choice and it had to happen. ASAP. I don't know the names of the women that Damon down the line cheated on Patsy with, um, but I'm fairly certain that it was more than one. The writer at the time was trying to por portray Damon as dark, twisted, tortured soul who was once much more heroic and has since fallen. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit more in her history. One thing that becomes very apparent once Patsy returns from death is how weirdly possessive Damon continues to be over her. Even though his minor appearances in the 2017, even through his minor appearances in the 2017 Strike Force series, Damon seems to think Patsy will come back to him and that their soulmates are meant to be or something. I'm sure the writers from way back when would say that they have castrated Damon by making him less threatening and less cool in the modern era, but to be honest, it's what a character like him deserves. Oh, and notably, he does go by the son of Satan, but Damon and his sister Satana's true father is a demon named uh, Marduk Kurios, who simply poses as Satan at times and managed to trick his children into thinking that he was Satan. So they're kind of stupid anyway. Uh, the other husband, the first husband, was Buzz Baxter. He does become Mad Dog through genetic experimentation, I believe, um, and he attacks Patsy several times, including at hers and Damon's wedding, uh, before she eventually has to end up killing him down the line. Korvac is an enemy of Patsy's by way of Iron Man. He electrocuted her and linked with her psychically to kind of torture her with her memories of all of her trauma, really. <laughs> and finally, Mephisto. Mephisto was the one he personally tortured Patsy when she was dead and her soul was in hell. Um, the other lords of the hell realms, sorry, hell realms, as it was during Patsy's time in hell, include Hela, Dormammu, Satanish, Pluto, and of course, Damon Hellstrom. Um, and that is kind of expanded on in the Hellcat Volume 1 series from the year 2000. Patsy does have superpowers. Um, it's been kind of uh, a little bit ambiguously described through her history, but that's something that I'm I pretty sure Christopher Cantwell in the Iron Man series has been trying to specify what actually it is that she can do and what her powers actually are. Um, but so, so we have like a couple of different things here, including uh, bits that go on her costume and whatnot. So. Um, along with her uh, athletic capabilities, she does have the psychic powers because she was trained by Moondragging in that sense on Titan. She has psychic senses and recently during the Iron Man run, she has gained the ability to read minds as well as regaining her psychic powers that she had once lost. Uh, she has what they're calling instant costume change. That is something that has uh, happened since she returned from the dead. She can basically just do the... Uh, I don't know, Ms. Mar do the Captain Marvel thing, I guess, and just kind of like snap her finger, not snap it, you know, just instantly turn into her Hellcat costume for fun. Uh, she used to have wrist-mounted retractable claws that she would use as grappling hooks. Um, they have been more or less forgotten through various eras, and I don't think that they are on her suit now. Um, I think it's kind of a tragic tragedy because it is obviously something that makes sense with a character called Hellcat to have kind of retractable, gra retractable grappling hook type claws. I think it, I thought it was cool when we saw it. 
Um, she is a well-trained martial artist and gymnast because of her time with the Avengers and Defenders, and also, of course, Moondragon. And according to the Marvel fandom wiki, um, I can find no source for this information, but they claim that she has enhanced physiology. It says, Patsy Walker has near superhuman level of physical prowess, including strength, speed, agility, endurance, and reflexes. Originally, the cat costume was designed to enhance the natural prowess of any woman who wore it. Over time, Patsy discovered that her physical abilities remained heightened even outside of her cat costume. Again, can't find a source for that information, but that is what the Marvel fandom wiki claims is also true about her abilities. Um, she can, um, it's kind of with tied in with that, that the force field generation she apparently used to have. Um, actually, that is more tied in with the psychic senses. And again, we'll talk about that more when we get to her character history. Finally, the last kind of power ability she once had was the use of a shadow cloak. Um, the shadow cloaks were dimensional warping devices, teleportational cloaks, teleportation cloaks, which could change its form and act as a magical porter to where portal to wherever its wearer wanted. It could be used to pick up weaponry from extra-dimensional armories or transport its users to other places and to exile their enemies to hostile environments. That is what the official description of the Shadow Cloaks are. Patsy took the Shadow Cloak from Agent of Fortune in Defenders issue number 60, and apparently in the modern times it is owned by Nick Fury, although I would I would love to see that make a return to being a part of Patsy's official superhero gear. Going into the various costumes of Patsy Walker and her Hellcat persona, pre-Marvel Universe um, in her romance and humor comics days, Patsy, um, in the Patsy comics, each issue would let you know who designed each character's outfit, specifically each girl's outfit for the issue. You would be able to write in designs for their hairstyle and for their clothing and for their pajamas, whatever it might be. And if they liked it, they would put it in the comic and credit you in the comic. Um, it's kind of like a crazy thing to think about now because I, I'm pretty sure that's unheard of these days. Um, but I'll put, it'll be in the text, uh, the image post that goes along with this, um, with this podcast special. I'll put a number of examples in there so you can see how, the, how they did that. They had it, they would have it... Um, as just the outfits she was wearing within the comic panels, they would put little notes about who designed it. And then they would sometimes also have like fashion special pages where they would call it like Patsy cutouts or something like that. Um, where it was basically, I mean, in the, back in the day, nobody gave a shit about comics. So they would make these cutout dolls and you would cut the cutout doll from the comic and you could fold the little tabs over and have this little Patsy cutout doll with her little, her little, um, her fashionable outfits designed by real Patsy fans. Um, and I'm, I'm sure people actually did that back in the day because these comics were a dime a dozen, you know, at the very most. <laughs> um, and so that was just like a fun way to attract their female audience to keep reading the issues is because it had like an interactive element to it. Um, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. I think it's brilliant looking back at all the, the fun little, outfits and things that people would send in to Marvel for Stan and the boys to put in then to the comic. I think it's great and definitely check out the image post to uh, see those examples. When Patsy picks up the original costume of the cat, it is the uh, yellow with dark, dark blue accents uh, and the costume had retractable um, 
steel alloy claws on both the gloves and boots, which uh, were strong enough to rend brick or stone. Um, and then eventually they were replaced with conventional gloves and boots and she doesn't do the retractable claw stuff anymore, which again, I thought was really cool. After she returns from death, um, not only does Patsy have the ability to instantly transform into her costume, her costume itself changes into, um, it kind of reverses in a, in a way what she wore previously. The suit is primarily uh, dark, dark blue, and it has a red sash and um, yellow claws, uh, gloves and feet, and then a little bit of yellow accent in the head. So it's pretty much a direct opposite. Um, I really prefer the head design, I think, on this outfit. It has, it has a little bit of a different design. Um, the ears are kind of more like a helmet instead of uh, just kind of like ears on the side of the cap part of the helmet thing. Um, it was never really specified the change, um, but you can pretty much, it's pretty much was assumed that it changed because the, the, the darker persona that she was kind of embracing now. And then for whatever reason, um, she only wore it for the three issues of the Hellcat series. I, I really wish that they would bring it back because I, I prefer it honestly over her cost, the two costumes that she's had. Um, but that was just the, those three issues, and then when in when she appears for the first time in the yellow suit afterwards, um, I think someone makes a brief note of it. Oh, you're back in your regular suit, and she's like, "Yep, it just went back like this, so now it's yellow again." There's not really any explanation. Like it kind of makes it seem like she's completely clueless as to why her suit changed colors. It's a bit odd. Um, she the only other real change in her costume over the years. She did get a temporary lightning uh, lightning shaped scar on her face uh, in Iron Man number four, which was caused by an electric attack from Korback. Um, and she also is compared to Batgirl, kind of an alarming amount, I guess because the red hair and the blue and yellow on the suit, I can almost kind of see their point um, around the time of her first series with the suit being fully blue, but she actually premiered 15 years before Batgirl did in the comics. So, um, and she was based off of Archie Andrews anyway. Is Andrews his last name? Feels right. Archie anyway. Um, so there is no conspiracy about them trying to copy Batgirl. Batgirl and Hellcat are not related in any way. They just have similar colors and people have this odd fetish about redheaded women in comics. I mean, I guess it's not really just comics, is it? Um, Diva... I have a favorite, there's a number of fan designs that I will be posting in the image posts that you can check out, um, but I have a favorite. It is the Dima Ivanov Hellcat fan design. You can just search Dima Ivanov Hellcat. So, so good. Um, this is something that I could see them translating to the MCU a little bit. Um, honestly, based on how they did Clea's outfit, I think if they were to do an MCU Hellcat look, it would just be a travesty. Um, but the Dima Ivanov suit redesign is gorgeous 12 out of 10 absolutely the best design her suit has ever had in any way now i'd like to talk about what i call her hair patsy's hair controversy so around the same time that marvel had writers mm, kind of overhaul her character to be truly happy-go-lucky hellcat instead of the kind of Deadpool style facade that it always really was. Um, they also had artists start drawing her with 
bright orange hair instead of the traditional red that it had always been. Um, why? Not a clue. My, 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 my closest theory is that they were trying to differentiate a new era for her or and or that this is a happier version of the character. I, I don't know, but I'll have it in the text post if you want to see it. I went through, oh gosh, a lot of her, of her character history, of her appearances in order to try and discover if there was a some kind of common something creator or editor or um, storyline that could explain why her hair went from red to orange. Um, and, and just in short, because it is kind of just, it's a long list of issues and if she has red hair or orange hair, but um, basically when she comes back post-resurrection, still red hair. Um, it is still red after, in her first issues after the Hellcat series, which was the uh, 12 issue Defender series. It's still red. Uh, in most of the order. However, in the order, it does have um, a little bit of orange mixed in. Um, like like the they took a little bit of liberties in in giving the orange a bit more time in the shading, you know, instead of just like dark different shades of red. Um, and also panels later in the the last issue, I believe. Um, no, it was not. It was the fourth because it's a six issue. Um, the order was six issues. So by the end of the sixth issue, she has straight red hair again. So that wasn't it. Um, she's got fully orange hair in She-Hulk number 10 during Civil War's initiative, um, which is kind of where the orange hair thing really starts. But then her hair is red again in The Last Defenders number four. Um, but that also has a panel of a newspaper clipping showing her in a purple suit. So <laughs> the colorist was wrong about a number of things there. And then her hair is kind of somewhere between red and orange in the 2009, well, it's the 2008 cult series that was released in 2009. The first time, um, Catherine Immonen writes her, um, in Marvel Comics Presents, 2007, she does still have red hair and the art is by Stuart Immonen. Um, and then, uh, by the time that you get to, let's see, her second solo series, which was again by Catherine Immonen, that's it. No more red period. The hair is decidedly orange and only orange. Um, it kind of, I, I guess that where you have, if you're going to say there's a line somewhere, it would be the Marvel Comics Presents number one. Um, or rather number two, because that's the one that has a famous cover of her with the bright orange hair jumping. I'm sure you've seen it if you know Hellcat. Um, but on the interiors, it still looks bright red. So it's somewhere in the Marvel Comics Presents. I don't know if it was Catherine Immonen or uh, Dave McCraig, the colorist, who I do think was taking quite a bit of liberties with the hair lighting. Um, and again, by her second solo series, it's definitively bright orange, only orange. And in that one, the colors are by John Roche and the art is by David uh, Lafuente. So it's, there is no crossover. Catherine Immonen is really the only crossover that I could find. Um, and she has no way of contacting her online to ask, why did ha Patsy's hair color change from red to orange over the course of Marvel Comics Presents 2007? <laughs> Um, so that's that's something that I have no answers for is why they did that. I have theories, 
Um, but ultimately, aside from the hair color, <laughs> wrapping that up, uh, she pretty much has the same look for her hair through all of her history. The only other time that it changes is um, when she cuts her hair for Marvel Divas. Otherwise, it's always pretty much the same length and style. Some fun little taglines and quotes from Patsy. Um, on her old romance comics, they used to have a couple of taglines. One was prettiest gal in town. The other was the girl that could be you. The whole thing being, um, and that could be a part of why uh, she took off more than Millie the model was because Patsy was the girl next door. She was the girl that could be you. Um, a bit more relatable than Millie the model who was a supermodel. Um, so perhaps that's why Patsy ended up lasting out longer than Millie did, or more popularly than Millie did. Uh, she is both known as and refers to herself as happy-go-lucky Hellcat um, through the years of her being a defender. Um, at times, ironically, <laughs> because she does go through a lot in even that early on in her history as a defender. Uh, she is known for saying cheese and crackers again not sure why. <laughs> I guess that's something people used to say. Mm -hmm. uh, in issue, in Defenders issue number 49, she says to uh, Moon Knight, stop mewling and make tracks, Mooney. I thought that was funny. In Defenders issue 50, she says, leap in lions, when a lion-themed villain leaps. <laughs> uh, Defender 65, she says, gee whiz, officer, we were only trying to help. That's actually a really good issue. I think I keep mentioning that, Defender 65. Um, and then this one is kind of notable, is is notable. Uh, Defenders 54, she says, gosh, if Red Guardians are really gone bad, then maybe my ex-hubby Buzz was right after all about communists, which sounds really bad, but it does. it's meant to begin, and it does begin a nice discourse among the team members on not judging people on things that you don't know or understand or simply by their place or origin. Um, not simply themselves and their actions. So, and Red Guardian in this sense was actually Tanya, the female Red Guardian who was only, she had a pretty short stint on the Defenders there, but I love to see her on the team. Um, and then a couple of quotes from her first series that I thought was pretty funny. Um, she says, you can't tempt me. I slept with the son of Satan. And then to Dormammu, she says, back off, doormat. And then later on to Mephisto, she says, back off, Muffy. I guess back off was like really big in the year 2000. <laughs> uh, I guess so. But those are some, um, some fun quotes uh, on and from Patsy. Patsy has also appeared through other media in different realities. Um, in the MCU, she was played by Rachel Taylor um, in 2015 Jessica Jones series. However, they had kind of changed it and they, 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 they call her Trish. Oh God, <laughs> uh, it was real bad. Um, they really messed up her character with like drugs and stuff. I, it, was, it was a bad take on, on Hellcat really, or on Patsy Walker in any way. Um, this version of Trish, uh, she was a talk show, a radio talk show host, as well as a former model and child TV star. And she was Jessica Jones's kind of adopted sister and best friend. Uh, so definitely a bit of a twist on her there. Um, another reality, I, I actually have a number of realities here that she comes from. Uh, Earth 5, or not comes from, but appears in. Earth 57780 is the Spider Spidey Super Stories universe. This is my personal favorite on the list. 
Um, she has only a couple of appearances in it, and obviously, um, my favorite being Spidey Super Stories 39, which was the uh, Thanos copter issue that came out in 1978. Um, most of her history in this universe is presumably the same as the 616 version, except we do know that she got her superpowers in a lab test. And the only other notable appearance of her in this universe is in issue 53 in the story titled Facts on the Cat. In the Ultimate Universe, Earth 1610, Patsy Walker performed various jobs throughout the entertainment industry, from spokeswoman to model to talk show host to celebrity interviewer. She later took on the identity of Hellcat as a member of superhero wannabe team The Defenders, and was later mutated into a cat-like form by Loki that takes place in Ultimate New Ultimates number one. After her deal with Loki, she gained cat-like abilities that included superhuman agility, superhuman reflexes, and claws. Her first appearance in the Ultimate Universe was Ultimate Spider-Man number 11 in 2001. The Marvel Zombieverse does have a Patsy. This is Earth 2149. Little is detailed about Hellcat's life before the zombie plague arrived in this universe, however, it can be presumed that it followed pretty much the same as the Patsy we know. If she was an Avenger member like her 616 counterpart, then she may have she was most likely infected. Uh, responding to the bogus Avengers assemble call that was sent out by the zombified team as a trap. When Beast and Reed Richards find a sizable stash of meat in Latveria and the surrounding area, a zombified Hellcat and a huge horde of zombies head off to lay siege to Castle Doomstadt, but her ultimate fate is unknown. Hmm. Uh, she was most likely eaten by the zombie Galacti. I think I skipped a line there, but the rest isn't important. Uh, she does first appear in Ultimate Fantastic Four number, number 22 from 2005. The Cancerverse version of Patsy is from Earth 10011. After the Cancerverse was corrupted by the many angled ones and the Avatar of Death was slain, Hellcat was placed under the service of Lord Marvel alongside her fellow Defenders. While the Cancerverse began to invade 616, the Defenders encountered the Guardians of the Galaxy who entered their universe in an attempt to stop the invasion. As, short fight, as a short fight between the groups ensued, before the Defenders were vaporized by Thanos, who was an avatar of death, who as an, as, as an avatar of death was the only one who could bring about permanent death in the Cancerverse, which... If you're unfamiliar with the Cancerverse, it is like a parallel reality that uh, there is no death. <laughs> so it's pretty messed up. And her first appearance there was Thanos Imperative number one in 2010. There is a universe called What the? Uh, it's Earth 9047. It's pretty much the same as a 616 until uh, her teenage comedy series that her mom was doing failed to go on. And Patsy ended up becoming the superheroine Hellcat, aka Catsy, also known as Hell Kitten. <laughs> uh, she married Buzz, but he became a supervillain like normal and they divorced. Her parents died, and whenever she returned to Centerville, the plot and art style would be swapped back and forth between superhero and teen comedy. She eventually discovered that Dorothy, although dead, her Dorothy being her mother, had broken the fourth wall and was trying to control her life again. Patsy literally rips her mother out of the comic book and took her control and took control of her own adventure, switching between superhero and teen comedy when she wanted. Needing money for the divorce for a second husband, 
Damon, who was known as Demon, um, Patsy became a waitress at Bud's Sud, and when Bud needed money for rent, she arranged a charity show, which succeeded in raising money. She also reconciled with Damon. I feel like that was all unnecessary information. In the Heroes Reborn universe, which is technically just a pocket reality of 616 created by Franklin Richards in the 90s, Patsy is covered in fur and has feline characteristics similar to the design of the 616 feral. There's also a handful of other alternate realities that exist that are pretty much the same version as the 616 Patsy. Um, there's also a character, Cat's Eye, who was from the Infinity Warps era. She was an amalgam of Hawkeye and Hellcat, created by Mariko Tamaki and Francisco Herrera. There are also multiple gaming versions of Hellcat. She has appeared in Marvel Avengers Alliance, Lego Marvel Universe, Marvel Puzzle Quest, Marvel Future Fight, Marvel Avengers Academy, Marvel Heroes, which is defunct as of 2017, and Future Revolution New Stark City, she has been mentioned in. Oh, she was also just mentioned in the uh, Marvel Heroes one. At long last, we arrive at Patsy's full chronological comic book history. Obviously, we have to start first with her pre-Marvel 616 comic history. Patsy was created as a Timely Comics character, a copy of Archie from Archie Comics, hence her red hair and lively personality. Why do they do this? Well, by 1944, Archie Andrews had proven to be so popular that he had received his own ongoing title for a few years earlier, and it was clear that Archie was a major success. Uh, I have a quote from CBR on how on the whole concept of comics copying other comics, publishers copying publishers. So it says something that has been tried in true fact of nature ever since the very first comic book was published is that comic book companies will always steal from each other. That's just the nature of the business. Whatever idea works for company X will be stolen by company Y. It's just logical, really, as if an idea works for company X, why wouldn't it work for company Y? However, nowadays, while companies are obviously influenced by each other still, how many zombie marvels how many zombie comic books launched after walking dead hit it big it is a lot slower to get a comic book approved than it was back in the golden age where companies were playing fast and loose there would be times where a company would just get a hold of some extra paper back when paper was rationed and they would say heck we might as well make a comic book and they would just make a comic book as a result trends were obviously key back then and if someone hit upon something everyone was be quick to try and copy it Along the lines of trends, when superhero comic books were hot, Timely put out lots of superhero books. When westerns were hot, they did westerns. Well, in the 1940s, one of the most popular genres was humor comic books. It was nice escapism for troops overseas who bought lots of comic books. And so, Patsy first appeared from the 1940s through 1967 in issues of Miss America, Teen Comics, Girl's Life, and several namesake teen humor series. Patsy Walker, as well as the spin-offs Patsy and Hetty, Patsy and Her Pals, and the single issue A Date with Patsy. A Date with Patsy was published a year after Millie's A Date with Millie, her her own series with the same title and her own name. I think it's safe to say that Patsy was a mirror to Millie, but as more of a regular woman's woman. As I mentioned before, Patsy was the girl next door, Millie was the supermodel. Patsy's comics were superficial and portrayed young girls as petty, jealous, 
boy crazy, etc., as did many other comics of the time. After her graduation from school, though, the comics took more of a romance turn, leaving a lot of the comedy behind as Patsy got older. Now, when Patsy first joins the Marvel 616, she was just a former child star. On Patsy Comics in the main Marvel Universe, Dorothy Walker began developing comic book series based on the activities of her daughter and her friends, with her help with help from model-slash-publishing friend Millie Collins and her sister Sophia McDonnell, Dorothy developed a very popular media empire on the persona of her daughter Patsy Walker. However, Patsy actually hated the notoriety that the series brought on. That is her, who she is in the Marvel 616. Now, on her joining the Marvel Universe, the Beast feature in Amazing Adventures number 13 in 1972 brought Patsy in as a supporting character and introduced the concept of Walker as possibly becoming a superhero. Writer Steve Englehart recalled that Walker's cameo in Fantastic Four Annual Number 3 had, quote, struck my fan's eye by including her in the Marvel Universe. I thought it would be cool to bring her in as a real character with things to do. Part of my training as a Marvel writer was writing romance stories and westerns, but Patsy Walker was defunct as a comic by the time I got there. Still, as a fan, I had collected everything Marvel, including Patsy Walker and Patsy and Hetty, so I knew them as characters." Unquote. Patsy was reintroduced in Avengers 141 in 1975, which is three years after uh, she meets the Beast, having resumed her maiden name of Walker because she divorced her abusive husband Buzz, and accompanied the Avengers on a couple of adventures. Uh, we don't have exact details, but because of uh, her appearances, we know that Patsy got divorced from Buzz between August of 1972 and June of 1975. Um, their wedding also does not appear in the comics, but it would have taken place between November 1966, which was the last issue of Patsy and Hetty, and April of 1972, which is when she and Buzz show up as married couple in Amazing Adventures 13. After the three issues of Amazing Adventures, and picking up with Avengers three years later, uh, she is finally revealed as Patsy in 141, because for a couple of issues it's like a weird tease thing, and then they reveal her in 141. So, moving on to her time as Hellcat. As I mentioned before, Patsy in the Marvel 616 comics was the star of her mother's product line, books, comic books, and merchandising that were all themed on Patsy and her perfect fictional life. Being brought up into the main Marvel Universe, she was a romance comics, quote, star, tagging along with the Beast and Avengers as a sidekick until finally picking up the suit of the cat in Avengers number 144 and becoming the hero Hellcat. Interestingly, I found that there was a solid amount of backlash towards Marvel for this decision. Readers believed Patsy to be just that, happy-go-lucky romance novel star without a serious heroing bone in her body. And suddenly she was picking up the suit of the cat, now Tigra, and somehow becoming a hero on her level? I can understand that concern, especially in that day and age, of taking the legitimacy of female heroes back a few steps. And honestly, I'd say that it's comparable to times when modern Patsy was written to not have any real acknowledgement of her own suicide and other past horrors, so really, I, I do get it. But Patsy developed, and in, in the details of her stories, you can find writers who believed in taking her seriously as a street-level superhero in the vein somewhat of Spider-Man, and in reading those issues, 
does tons to elevate her character for readers. But for being a character often tied her to her own happy-go-lucky Hellcat tagline, there is a surprisingly large amount of trauma and strife there always was in her life, and that's why, and that's all well before her eventual suicide, many years before. Almost as soon as she puts the suit of the cat on, trouble starts, and by her third appearance, the whole Avengers team is taken out by the Squadron Supreme. By her fourth, in Avengers 149, her own abusive ex-husband Buzz Baxter has teamed with the enemy, helped capture her team, and then Patsy herself is forced to fight him off while the rest recover. There isn't too much happy or lucky about her first few weeks in the suit. She does continually have to insist on being called Hellcat while in the suit, not Patsy, especially to the Beast, who I have been vocal about my dislike for before, so not surprising. After those events, Patsy has the opportunity to join the Avengers team officially as they decide their new lineup and a new female member, narrowing it down to Patsy or Moondragon. While Patsy is eager to accept and, for whatever reason, Moondragon steps in, insisting that Patsy cannot and she must go with her to the Moon Titan to train instead. Possibly even weirder, Patsy listens to her and obeys without question, turning down membership for another time. Patsy returns to Earth in Defenders number 44, where she shows up at the Sanctum Sanctorum to warn Strange about impending danger, finding Valkyrie and Red Guardian, who was the female version of the Defenders there instead. This becomes Patsy's first of many leading lady team-ups in a long-lasting, still-standing friendship. In this first arc, the women fight the evil Red Raja, who later turns out is brainwashed Doctor Strange. This arc also sees Clea join the women's team the women's team-up, another member of their notorious friendship circle that, again, lasts to this day and is unfortunately overslept on by creators. Granted, Red Guardian returns to Russia to be a doctor in issue 46, but she is still a meaningful member of this arc. Also, 47 is the issue that Patsy, or is the first issue with Patsy in the corner box of the Defenders, and uh, it, it, it goes on pretty much from there. She becomes a regular feature in the corner box. It's also really worth noting again that very on in her very early on in her Defenders team membership, while Patsy is commonly seen as the happy-go-lucky girl next door character all too often by her peers, she is stark full of moments where she emotionally levels with someone in need, such as Valkyrie in Defenders 48, to make them feel heard, empathized with, and comforted. These moments are deadly serious, writing on the power of female companionship. One thing that you see in all of her early Defenders appearances, Patsy always gives the team her all, both physically and emotionally. Between Defenders 91 and 92, Patsy has a quick side story in Savage She-Hulk 13 and 14, kicking off another long-lasting legendary friendship. It's a weird story involving Otherworld and Patsy's red cloak, and immediately after, in Defenders 92, Patsy's life changes forever when her adventures with the Defenders uh, defenders lead her to meeting Damon Hellstrom. But before we get into Damon, there is a huge chunk of Patsy on Defenders before him. Specifically, you have issues 44 through 57, 59 through 81, and 83 through 91 specifically. It's a lot of generic heroing, and I have to, uh, but I have to stop and make note of it because. Um, she has a really, really long history with the team here, um, and it's important, that'll be important after her marriage to Damon and everything that comes after that. 
Included in this history is Defenders number 89, the issue of Patsy's mother's death. This is an important issue for her history because it really delves into the complicated relationship Patsy had with her late mother and how the woman was not what you would call loving or motherly. It also has more really solid growth of the friendship between all of the Defenders ladies, specifically Clea, Patsy, and Val. Patsy requests Valkyrie change back into her classic Valkyrie costume, as opposed to the white and gold version Clea had designed for her, and it's Clea who magics the change together for her. At this point, the Walker residence has become Defenders HQ, and as as well as the team meeting Donnie, Dolly Donahue, the Walker's longtime housekeeper. Now we're getting into her time with Damon. Before too long, Patsy finds herself on The Defenders, where she meets Damon Hellstrom, an ally of the team with a dark history. They meet various allies of Doctor Strange and are summoned for assistance to the Sanctum, and the trouble starts right away. Kidnapped by Gargoyle at the end of Defenders 93, it turns out that Patsy's dear darling mother tried to make a deal with the demon Avarish to save her own failing life in exchange for her daughter's soul. This arc sees Damon fight a gargoyle and Patsy temporarily transform into a demon herself. Additionally, her family home in New Jersey is destroyed, and the housekeeper Dolly's health takes a turn for the worst. Patsy and Damon bond over their somewhat shared damnation, and it is Damon who confronts, who comforts Patsy when the truth of her mother is confirmed, that she would have gladly given up her daughter for her own life had that plan worked out in her favor, and she would have had no regrets. Hellstrom in this period of Defenders comics is portrayed as heroic, honorable, but haunted, with deep ties to all forms of darkness and mysticism as well. With all of Patsy's tumultuous adventures in this period, focusing in large part on the question of her soul and her past, it's no wonder she takes a liking to him. The loss of, well, the near loss of Dolly, one of the last remnants of her former non-heroic life, brings her closer to him once more, as well as the remnants of her demonic possession by Avarish some issues ago. She begins to see him in herself, and thinks maybe he holds the answers to these new complications. As the Defenders look to Damon for solutions for the demonic adjacent adventures, Patsy looks to him as well, hoping to find a lifelong solution to all of her problems. Though their relationship starts fairly rocky, they stick together through siblinghood scares, yes really, background reveals, and more, all of which they translated as being pushed together or as them as pushing them together. So granted, it wasn't just Patsy who'd been through some stuff. Damon had his own rocky history as well. Still, their relationship, in my opinion, was a mistake from the start. Even Dolly, nearly escaped from death, expresses her dislike and distrust for Damon directly to Patsy. Suddenly, very suddenly, in Defenders 122, Patsy and Damon announce they are leaving the team to be married. Why they couldn't stay as heroes after the wedding, I can't say, and honestly chalk up to the misogyny of the time that would have made up Damon's character. This announcement brings mostly sadness to their surprise, as neither Dolly nor Valkyrie want Patsy to leave the team. Meanwhile, Patsy and Damon's plan was Damon will sell his family's land and they'll use the money to start a life in California. Then, as soon as they're settled, Patsy will send for Dolly to be their maid again. They announce that they are leaving that same day. All of this being so sudden is 100% a big part of why her friends were so upset by what should have been happy news. Damon was a bit of an unknown still, and he was entirely removing Patsy from her own life. Her friends could see this long before she could, unfortunately. 
They marry in Patsy's next appearance, Defenders 125, but the wedding is interrupted by her ex-husband, Buzz Baxter, now the supervillain, Mad Dog. She and Damon fight him off, and the wedding ends up continuing with his unconscious body piled up in the corner. Because why not? (laughs) Immediately after the wedding, we do start to see far less of Patsy in the comics. This makes me think of the old saying that DC and Marvel don't often marry off their characters because they think that it ages them too much. Perhaps that's what happened here. Had they had they had Patsy get married and then figured that means that she can't be a hero anymore. Where in reality, marriage doesn't draw a line for your career. Career. So she marries in November of 1983 and doesn't have a single line in comics until October 1985, with only an extremely minor and unnoteworthy appearance between them. When we do see her again, this is when we start getting really juicy content for Patsy and her Hellcat persona, as if the creators who were still out there rooting for her to appear were very, very passionate about her returning, and I really appreciate that. In Defenders 148, titled Kickshaw's Assignment, it is revealed the couple are, um, they are occult detectives, though this particularly, uh, this particular investigation ends up being not occult at all. Another year later, she appears in an arc of West Coast Avengers where she and Tigra, or sorry, Tigra, aka Greer Grant, hash their shit out, so to say, I've already discussed this one in the friendship part. Uh, Greer was the cat originally, whose suit is now worn by Patsy as Hellcat. Greer was also going through trouble with her uh, curse of transforming into their werewoman, Tigra. Uh, so the West Coast Avengers and Patsy went deep into the earth to find the tribal, or the tribe of cat people who had kind of gifted her those abilities and get her fixed, so to say. It's a bit of a ridiculous story, and in the end, we have Patsy and Greer closer than ever and easily friends. A year and a half later, after that story, Patsy returns to the comics again for Solo Avengers number 9, one of my favorite Patsy single issues, even though her story only takes up the second half. Now, on a talk show interview, we learn that she is still running Hellstrom Investigations with Damon and recently wrote a series of books on her time on her time as inspiration for a fictional child star. Do- Mad Dog makes a further return um, on the show and she does end up beating him but not before reliving some harsh truth of her past that she did at one time truly love him then it's another year before we see patsy again when she's called to be an avenger once more but all that really came of it was a weird cat fight with her and tigra as the writer tigra as the writer apparently didn't jive with their newfound friendship Later that year, in a very serious dramatic tale about the loss about loss as a hero, Patsy faces the fact that you can't save everyone, but you can do your darn best to try. By 1990, Patsy had been merely sprinkled through the Avengers team Adventures and was openly admitting her distaste for married life, as you can see in Avengers 313. That May, though still running their business still running their team business as a team would patsy finds herself alone on a paranormal investigation mission not knowing where damon even is her last notable appearance before things go horribly wrong is marvel fanfare number 59 where the couple are together again fighting an evil in patsy's hometown of centerville this would be the last time she gets out of the house before everything goes wrong in her personal life 
As I hope I have described now well enough, marrying Damon and starting their business forced Patsy to withdraw from the rest of her life. Her friends, her teammates, the social circle that helped her thrive through all the crazy battles and darkness overhead. Taking that support system away was the start to a downhill slide, especially after Damon began to run AWOL more often than she'd like, leaving her completely alone. In the series Hellstrom, Prince of Lives, sorry, lies, <laughs> Damon began having struggles with his demonic identity again, so Patsy makes a great sacrifice to try and save him, but instead fails, and Damon ends up accepting his demonic form, so to say, over his love for her all of that being extremely shortened. This, along with everything else, causes Patsy's mind to break uh, when she kind of sees his demonic self, leaving her a drooling near vegetable in her bed, shut away more than ever from light, family, friends, and anything else she loved. Even Damon stopped visiting her and took other lovers, which made things even worse. Um, yeah, yes, this really really does happen in the comics. Um, in the 14th issue of the series, Patsy is approached by a villain of her husband's called Death Urge, who ultimately talks her into committing suicide in her own home. On her suicide, this is taken from, I believe, Marvel Year in Review, 1993. Patsy was event- oh no. No, it wasn't. Sorry. I'm not sure where this is taken from, but Patsy was eventually brought back to life, but her suicide was generally glossed over, treated more as death by supervillain than anything else, than anything with deeper roots in her own intent. In conversation with Tony, Patsy explains that she has never really recovered from that experience and that she is constantly battling dark thoughts. As a result of this inner conflict, she doesn't place very much concern on what others think of her. Presented more in the context of Hellstrom's subsequent anguish than her own suffering, Hellcat's suicide was largely ignored by Marvel Comics for years. As perfect as things seemed on the covers of romance magazines, Patsy was never happy. She couldn't find happiness in any man, adventure, or even suicide. But miraculously, like a phoenix, she rose from the depths of hell, finding it within herself. She realizes that she is the master of her destiny, as a, and as a defender of the streets and a warrior of magic, she fights on at the evils of this world like a cat out of hell. So Patsy killed herself in what I have uh, come to discover was called the Dark Age of Comic Books. Now this part is from Marvel Review, or Year in Review, 1993. 1993 was a year Superman died and Venom got his own series, just keep that in mind. Um, after a stay in hell, Patsy is rescued on accident because they thought she was Mockingbird. Yeah, no, it was an accident that she got resurrected, yeah. Uh, but she was resurrected by Hawkeye and his friends in Thunderbolts Annual 2000, number one, and uh, then resumes her life as a superhero, but this time without Damon and temporarily with a snazzy new suit. What we know about her time in hell when she was dead includes that Mephisto himself tortured her and that she fought alongside Mockingbird, which if I'm not mistaken was actually a scroll. <laughs> We also learn that she uh, has ever since been constantly afraid that Mephisto will yank her back to hell. When we first get back with Hellcat, she has a solo series for the first time, only if it is three issues. It is Hellcat, self-titled. Uh, it's by Steve Englehart, with art and covers by Norm Brayfogel. Brayfogel, yep, that sounds right. 
It takes place just after Patsy returns from the dead and she wears a new darker costume. Some would argue that this costume was of her was, was a costume of her own design as opposed to the original which was the same that Greer Grant's The Cat wore and therefore hard to differentiate. There is a scene in the first issue where Patsy expresses all of her traumas to Hetty, saying she clings to the perky Patsy Walker personality like a life raft. With that in mind, the two subsequent Patsy series are her being actually extremely unhappy by that definition and hiding it under a bunch of perkiness, like at this moment she describes. Um, that's very interesting. Um, worth looking into. Uh, there is also a lot of involvement and talk of her various magical abilities, both psychic slash mental and other, like letting a magical blow glance off her aura, that kind of thing. Uh, she fights the Centerville mayor, Nicholas Scratch, who actually is the son of um, Agatha Harkness, fun fact. He is also a servant of Dormammu here, who in turn takes Patsy back to, well, the Dark Dimension with him. Um, as part of a plot to overthrow Mephisto. In the end, Patsy ends up helping Mephisto defeat Dormammu with a stop to offer Bobby Morris an escape as well, which she actually declines. She then uses Patsy then uses her strategic alliance with Mephisto and the other Lords of Hell to bargain for her soul's freedom from Hell permanently, which she does get, so she doesn't have to worry about Mephisto trying to bring her back to Hell. After that, we get a couple of different series. Uh, Defenders 2001 was 12 issues, and then The Order in 2002 was 6 by Kurt Busiek, Matt Haley, Dan Panosian, and Gregory Wright. Uh, the Initiative was the whole Civil War um, thing. Patsy ended up having to be registered as a superhero uh, because the She-Hulk, Jennifer Walters, kind of forced her to do so. That was 2007 to 2008. Dark Reign takes place directly after that, and Tony Stark sends Patsy to Alaska. I guess that was still part of the 50 States Initiative. Um, that was five issues of the Patsy Walker Hellcat series, which took place in 2008 by Catherine Eminen and David LaFuente. Um, Again, it's worth noting that in the Hellcats, in the original Hellcat series, Patsy uh, admitted that her clinging to the, per the perky, happy-go-lucky Hellcat personality is her just trying to use it as a life raft when she's very unhappy. So the Patsy Walker Hellcat series was entirely happy-go-lucky Hellcat. So I, I really wonder if someone's ever going to come back and clarify that she was very unhappy in that time. But anyway... I'm taking lots of creative liberties in <laughs> Patsy's personality in that time. But then we have the Marvel Divas, Models Incorporated, and Heralds, which took place in 2009 and 2010. Um, the law offices of Jennifer Walters was a team that she joined in the Charles Soule She-Hulk run. And then in 2016 and 2017, there was the 17-issue Patsy Walker, aka Hellcat series, which again, very much leaning on the happy-go-lucky side of things, makes me question, based on the original Hellcat series, was she really happy in those times? I highly doubt those writers were aware of that Hellcat series, having said that, but whatever. That one was written by Kate Leth and Brittany Williams. Uh, in 2017, she makes appearances, a number of appearances, in the Hulk, She-Hulk series by Mariko Tamaki, and that leads us to Iron Man 2020 by Christopher Cantwell. Uh, the series has had Patsy starring in it since the beginning, or co-starring, I guess, and he writes her like she always should have been written ever since she came back to life. She was, in her first series, 
written that way, but the second and third miss the mark by a lot in terms of crediting her, crediting her for all that she has gone through, um, which is just another legitimate reason why the happy-go-lucky persona completely being all that they focus on and ignoring the rest is a wrong, legitimately wrong creative decision to make for her character. When Korvac kind of um, startles her into thinking that she might be losing her mind again, like she did back in the day with Damon, she gets psychic help from Moondragon, but she is the only the guide there, and the work has to be done by Patsy, who faces her worst fears. Damon taking her back, being committed in an asylum against her will, and Hetty and her mother discussing how they wish she would just commit suicide already so they don't have to deal with her anymore. By the end of the arc, though, she does embrace her fears. Actually, I think it was just that by the end of the issue, it was issue eight, she does embrace her fears and in that way kicks Korvac out of her mind so he cannot mentally hurt her anymore. In the Iron Man Hellcat Annual, volume one, number one, which just came out this past week, um, we see post Patsy turning down Iron Man for marriage, she goes to a haunted house in San Francisco that her mom apparently owned at one point in time and Patsy has now inherited. Um, there is a childhood toy of hers there that uh, turns out to be possessed by her ex-husband Damon, Damon Hellstrom. Um, and there is a bit of a confrontation between the two of them and kind of what I would say is a bit of a challenge from Damon for Patsy to kind of pick up her heroing stuff again and do all of her, you know, heroic anti-demon stuff, um, be it against him or against anybody else. He kind of challenges her in a way to do that. So I'm really hoping that Cantwell's gonna pick up the initiative. He's gonna take the initiative to continue this nice glide that we have. It's a very natural, it'd be very natural to glide her into her own series now. And where does this leave us all at the end to, to wrap up our thoughts here? Well, one interesting thing that I found in working on this podcast and reading most of Patsy's history at Marvel um, is that even before her suicide, there was always darkness in her stories. Almost all of the story, the solo stories she had usually taking place as in an anthology book as a, you know, B or C story, for example, um, in, in, in an anthology hero solo series, um, they all had great drama and tragedy somehow. It, it seems clear to me that all the creators on board those projects had a common goal of legitimizing Patsy Walker's Hellcat as an almost Peter Parker-style hero, one who persists through constant struggle and trials of morality. Another interesting pattern I discovered in reading Patsy's history is just how much her friends and teammates mean to her. Going through her notable storylines, a lot of the key stuff in Patsy's history involves her relationship with another hero or villain character. Here she discovers Beast's identity. Here she and Greer Grant sort their dirt involving the cat suit. Here the first female hero to ever interact with Savage She-Hulk, being chosen to train on Titan with Moondragon becoming close with fellow defenders Valkyrie and Clea. Even her ties with other Avengers, hell, her first major success in the comics was as a teen humor star in a frenemy comic duo Patsy and Hetty. 
The point is, Patsy is made up of stories of her, her interactions with her friends. When she married Damon, it's noted on more than one occasion that she stopped being as available to her friends, in part, of course, due to their new status as a husband-wife supernatural investigation duo. But further on, Patsy starts to note that even Damon isn't around as much, but she's still cut off from her friends and loved ones. After the events that lead her to mentally snapping, it gets even worse as Patsy becomes a prisoner in their home, unseen by an unfaithful husband who shut the rest of the world out far away from her. Of course, with all of this in mind, it starts to make sense why Patsy would go to the extremes that she did to get out of that situation. It's also worth noting here that I am not defending what Warren Ellis wrote. It is his decision to have Patsy break mentally and become basically a vegetable and have her husband mistreat her by ignoring her existence and sleeping with other women. While her suicide took place in Damon's series and he appeared to have a certain amount of grief after the fact, don't be mistaken, Damon was not the victim. Patsy was through and through. And so, in this thought process, I'm not explaining why Ellis made this horrible decision for her character, I am simply finding a way to make sense for an unnecessary tragedy. I highly doubt a man like Warren Ellis has enough insight into women as to have made any part of this his own reasoning. Ellis's intention was to have her die, and he had no further plans to have it make sense or have any meaning to it. And that's a major difference between writers like Ellis and writers like Cantwell, and how they choose to handle their characters. Torturing a character just to put them through some pain is pointless, regardless of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Understanding your character and giving meaning to their presence, a meaning relevant to their own growth, not that of a romantic counterpart, is extremely important in modern storytelling. It's something Cantwell has already displayed beautifully with Patsy turning down Iron Man's marriage proposal. She can't be his footstool for personal growth. She has her own life to, to live, to work on for herself. And I hope we get to see more of it because I absolutely adore what he's done with her. To wrap up, I have a few questions that I would like to see addressed in future Patsy Walker content, I hope. First off, the most obvious thing that in my mind, why has she never met Satana? Uh, Patsy Walker has married and passed Damon Hellstrom. Satana is his sister. Why have they never ever interacted? Ever. I've cross-referenced their appearances. They have never interacted. They've, they've appeared in issues together, but not together. They've, they've just appeared in the both in the same issue, but not in the same scene. Um, I don't know. It's something that really I, kind of irks me a little bit. Um, it's kind of is, a, I feel like it's a bit of um, female friendship that could exist that uh, we're kind of being denied because, I mean, it's not like Satan is her brother's biggest fan. <laughs> and, you know, when it comes down to things... I highly doubt she has, um, you know, all that much loyalty to her brother anyway. Another question, why did Patsy go off with Moondragon to train on Titan instead of joining the Avengers? She barely knew Moondragon. Um, my current theory is, well, there's two current theories. One is she was incredibly impressed by Moondragon and when Moondragon offered her to train, she went A yes, I definitely need it, and B, yes, awesome person to train with, so I'm going to do it. Um, 
and possibly Moon Dragon had a little bit of like mental influence that she gave her there. I don't know. Who knows? My third question, as I've already discussed, why the hair color change? It's something that really, um, really fully started when she became a bit more of the happy-go-lucky Hellcat character instead of just using that as a thing she said. Um, and they started ignoring all of her the meat of her story and just going by the girl next door persona um is it have to do with that were they trying to differentiate her somehow from other characters because we still have a lot of redheaded characters who are still bright red hair on the page um i know the orange you know might be more realistic but red on the page i mean marvel girl look at all of those different heroes who have actual red hair maybe it's because archie's hair is orange and they wanted to make her more like Archie again? I don't know. But that's another thing that I would love to get answered. Anywho, that wraps up this June Yancey Street special and everything that I have for you on Patsy Walker, aka Hellcat. If you have anything you'd like to add to this, I would love to hear. Um, and I just would, I really, really hope that we get more Patsy content. Um, in the somewhat near future because she has this incredible history if you have not if you've listened to this whole two-hour podcast and haven't realized what her how how luscious her history is I don't know what to tell you but um, I, I really hope to see more of her in the future and I hope that I have inspired you to be a fan as well you can find me online at Anna with the comics um, on Instagram, on Twitter, you can find me at Savage She Geek. I do have uh, some really fun stuff on my website that goes along with the podcast. Um, that you can find my site at sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. I post episodes once a week regularly for the normal podcast, um, either Mondays or Tuesdays, usually depending on how much energy I have. I've had a, I've had a really rough sinus infection the past few days, so I am doing the post uh, late this week for the regular episode. Episode, episode 70. Um, so be sure to check out all of that. Um, I have a YouTube, Sensational She Geek. You can check out there. I have action figure toy review videos and stuff. Um, and then links to all kinds of fun stuff to support the podcast and whatnot all on my website. Again, sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you feel educated on the life and times and history of Patsy Walker and Hellcat. If you have any questions that you feel like I didn't cover, I would love to be challenged with those. Um, and fingers crossed we get more Patsy content in the future. Have a great summer.